0: everyone. Welcome to the Your Pastor Reads Books podcast, a podcast for Christians of all stripes where you'll hear ministers discuss their love of reading and the specific books that are shaping them to be wholehearted followers of Jesus and better givers of spiritual care to others. I'm your host, Heather Weber, and I hope you enjoy our first season of conversations with ministers about the books that they read. Today, I'm talking with Pastor Jason Blackley about his reading life. Jason is the staff pastor for Grace Community Church in downtown Iowa City, Iowa. Grace Downtown is celebrating its 10th anniversary this year, and Jason's been there since the beginning. He serves the church and the elder team by preaching, coaching small groups, and communicating vision for being and making disciples of Jesus. He and his wife have been married almost 20 years and have four boys ages 14, 12, 10, and 6. Now, I first met Jason when I was planting City Church in downtown Iowa City. He and his co-pastor at the time were extremely welcoming to me as a fellow minister, doing the work of growing a church and sharing the message about Christ on and near the campus of the University of Iowa. For the past six years, I've known Jason to be a sincere and rooted follower of Jesus who thinks deeply about his faith and the way he pastors. I hope you enjoy our conversation. So Jason, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Heather. It's great to be here. I've been excited about this conversation for quite a while.
0: Tell me why. Why have you been excited?
1: Well, I love talking to you. About most anything, and then <laughs> even just the title of your podcast, uh, I knew right away this is something that I wanted to do. And um, I just love reading. I love talking to pastors about reading. So this was right, right in the middle of the Venn diagram of of my life: pastors, reading, podcast. It's just right in the middle. So I've been really excited to talk about this.
0: I love that. I hope I was hoping you would say that about the Venn diagram because I remember you saying this in your email. And, and it just confirms like you were an excellent choice as a guest for this show. Um, I, you know, our listeners may not know this, but you are my very first recorded interview. So I'm not actually sure what episode you'll be on, but this sure. is our first time. So thank you for being the guinea pig. And Jason, it's Monday morning and your church meets Sunday night. So how are you doing today?
1: Yeah, correct. There's always mixed emotions on Monday morning, especially after you have Sunday night church. It's easy to kind of ride the wave of emotions that come from how things went on Sunday night. And uh, you're a little bit excited, but also a little bit tired. And so it's just kind of a strange, uh, strange thing. Um, This morning, I find myself really encouraged. Uh, Last night, we had a great service uh, before Thanksgiving and then had a service project afterwards where we were able to package 10,000 meals of prepackaged food to go off all over the world for disaster relief. And so that was a wonderful opportunity um, that was just really exciting to see the church uh, stick around after service and be able to serve in that very practical way. Uh, so that was an exciting time, but we were there a little bit later uh, Than normal, and then had an early elders meeting this morning. So uh, it's been a pretty pretty quick turnaround, um, but this is a, a really fun thing to be doing on Monday morning for sure. Wow,
0: awesome! So how long does it take to package ten thousand meals?
1: Well, we had a little over forty people. Uh, I think we had about forty-five people, um, including children. Uh, they got very involved as well. Um, it took us about an hour and a half. Uh, we had an assembly line going, and we had basically bulk uh, proteins and rice, and we mix mix them together, put them in a bag, uh, weighed them, sealed them, packaged them. And yeah, I had four assembly lines going and took about an hour and a half.
0: Wow. That's amazing. Uh, Thanks for sharing that. I I love that. And it sounds so doable as well. Uh, So Jason, um, you are probably going to be new to some of the people listening today. So I'd love for you to share something unique about yourself that you would like to like listeners to know.
1: That's always a, a tough question, um, because we don't know how other what other people would find unique. But um, I'm originally from Kansas City, and my wife and I moved here 16 years ago. Um, and Iowa City has just been a, a great place to live, to minister, to work, to play, to send our kids to school. Um, me being from Kansas City, my wife being from a farming community in southeast Iowa, um, Iowa City has been a great place spot for us because in Iowa City, you're just a few moments from countryside and green spaces and um, being able to see the stars, but you can also drive to Target. And so um, this has been a really good community for us to uh, live in and work in. And we came here um, for me to go to school. Um, So we thought we would just be here for four years and then we would go quote unquote where we're really supposed to go. Um, And God in his infinite wisdom and leading just has kept us here, and we couldn't be happier uh, to be here and to be a part of what God is doing um, through multiple churches, through believers here in Iowa City, and just love being a part of the community here. There's always something going on, (laughs) and I really love that, but then we can still uh, be to my in-law's farm or to a a state park very quickly, and uh, it's just a great community to to live
0: in. Yeah, I appreciate you saying all that because I'm a, a fellow Iowa City in ish person myself. <laughs> I've, I kind of, you know, we have a bed- bedroom communities here and they're all kind of like mashed together with Iowa City. But I lived in Iowa City proper for about 15 years. But we now live in a neighborhood that has cornfields on a couple sides and, yeah. and yet there's like development everywhere else. And I've told my husband, As soon as those cornfields go away and as soon as I can't see the sky anymore (laughs) because the trees are so old and and the whole neighborhood is filled, I think I'd like to move because I like that. I like that combination too of country and city and feeling like you can go be in nature and enjoy that. So that's really cool. Thanks for sharing that. And um, Jason, obviously, this is a book about pastors who read books, and I see behind you right now, our our listeners can't see it, but there is a (laughs) massive bookshelf, and it's filled to the brim with books. How has reading shaped your ministry life?
1: It's been a huge part. Uh, It's really how I did my formal or informal, I should say, theological education. Um, I started out in ministry when I was 19 which has been a number of years ago. Um, And then we came to Iowa for me to do the more formal training, which I never did. And then only last August, finally finished my biblical studies education. So for the first 20 years of my ministry, it was really reading books um, that led to my education. Um, It started out um, not even having the money to buy books when I was 19. So I would go to a bookstore and read uh, for free. Um, and just put it back and remember what page number I was on and then come back, usually even the next day, and would keep reading. So I got a free theological education uh, for whatever Borders Bookstore in Kansas City had on its shelves. Um, so yeah, that's really how um, reading has just been a foundational part of my ministry, because that's that's really what I had to go with. So uh, reading books that I found interesting or that others recommended to me uh, was really a foundational part of my theological training um, and really led to a really eclectic <laughs> understanding, I think, of of theology and the Bible and church because I just kind of read whatever sounded good um, and whatever people recommended to me. And I've also always been in non-denominational world my whole life. And so just kind of an eclectic uh, background when it comes to reading. Um, so I think that would be one thing is just that foundational theology. I think a second part has been, I've really seen the benefit of reading fiction um, and other forms of literature um, and how that has helped me as a storyteller, I think, and also as a pastor, just understand how to tell a story, but also understand people's unique story. Um, So, I love reading, um, and it's just been a big part of my formal and informal uh, education and in ministry. I think.
0: Wow, there's so many things you said. I, I have like three different bunny trails I want to go down. <laughs> like, first of all, I don't think you can do that at bookstores anymore. Like Barnes mm. and Noble has taken away all the comfy chairs. <laughs> That's you right. Know? They Good used point. to you used to be able to sit there, but I I love that. So you got your biblical studies degree at the University of Iowa, is that right?
1: No. So it's kind of a winding path. I came here to go to the University of Iowa. never went to the University of Iowa. I got my associates through Kirkwood Community College here in town. And then I finished up my formal Bible education through an online program for pastors.
0: I see. Okay. So I think what I was wondering, because you talked about reading so widely and whatever sounded good, which I totally relate to and still do that. When you did your formal education, did you ever think back to any of those books and think, "Huh, I don't know. I don't know if that was like actually right on like or did you do mm-hmm. some revision in terms of of your thinking or ha- has your formation been been ch- changed, I guess or shaped differently?"
1: Yeah, I, I mean, yes, for sure. Um but a lot of that is because I read broadly and still read broadly I did and now I still do and so my my theology I feel like is constantly kind of in flux and um, so I think the formal education more helped me know how to teach some of the things that I already know as opposed to exposing me to new information It really helped me as a communicator and as a teacher to know how to systematically teach certain things and also how to better understand people that have a more solid theological framework, I think. Um, I I think it did make me rethink some of the things I previously learned, but not change everything, because like I said, it's always kind of in flux. And again, being a part of uh, a non-denominational church my entire life. I've kind of had that leeway to kind of meander um, when it comes to theology and kind of explore different understandings of theology. And sometimes I just go out of my way to read something that I know I won't agree with. Um, It sharpens my own thinking. It exposes me to new ideas. There's always nuggets of truth or understanding there that are really important for me to know.
0: I really appreciate that about you because I think a lot of people, and I could count myself in this as well at times, there is, I think, a bit of nervousness or a bit of anxiety about picking up something that you know, like right off the bat, like you have like a major theological conflict with.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, you just don't tweet about it and you'll be fine. That's (laughs) really the problem. That's the anxiety, right? It's how are other people going to feel about me reading this? Right um because like i understand that anxiety and i have some of that too but what's at stake really you know like we can read all kinds of things we read things we disagree with every day all of us do um you really don't have to scroll through twitter very long or open the newspaper or hear radio or hear people's conversation to hear things that you disagree with um and so i think that it's important with things being so polarized and thing, everything is so triggering and everything is so walking on eggshells, I think it's really important that all of us go out of our way to read things that we disagree with, just to broaden our understanding, even of what we don't believe. So we understand more what we do believe.
0: Yeah, it makes so much sense. And I, I think too, uh, and I'm thinking about a couple of different topics, but like, I think it deepens our capacity for compassion and understanding for those yeah. who think differently than we do. Yeah. And, uh, and so I really appreciate what you're saying, um, that, that, that actually could be some really sage advice for every pastor, you know, to mm-hmm. pick up, pick up something that they know that they're not going to be a hundred percent in alignment with, but could help them in some yeah. way grow. Um, well, so you talked a little bit about how reading shaped your ministry life and you mentioned fiction too, which you're the first pastor I've ever heard who has said, I love fiction because it helps me tell basically the story of God to my congregation. And I know the book that you brought here to talk about is fiction. So will you just tell us about this book that um, you want to share with us today?
1: The book I chose, which typically would have been a very hard task for me, picking me to recommend a book or picking one book to talk about is quite a tall Ask Heather. So um, normally it would have been difficult, but it was not difficult um, in light of this book. The book I chose to talk about is called Revival Season by Monica West. It came out last summer, summer of 2021. And it came on my radar in Christianity Today in their yearly book review um, as they were going back and giving awards. It it got an honorable mention in fiction. And I looked into it and the title of it and the the synopsis of it, and then the fact that the author, Monica West, um, went to the Iowa Writers Workshop here in Iowa City, I thought, I have to read this book. So none of the local libraries had it yet, and I'm like, I'm just going to buy it. Um, I'll find some space on the bookshelf for one more book. Um, So yes, Revival Season, which is a modern fiction book by Monica West, is the book that I chose.
0: Wow. Okay. Thank you for all that background because I didn't know the writer went to the Iowa Writers Workshop. And for those listening, uh, I think our writing workshop is ranked as number one in the world right now, or it's slipped down to the top three. I don't know. Do you Um... remember
1: I'm not sure, but it's always at the top of the, the list for sure. Yeah,
0: it's always at the top of the list. And the writers who come out of there um, do some pretty amazing stuff. Yeah. Uh, and also, I'm always interested in award winners too, because yes. I like reading books that have been vetted a little bit. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so I'm not like a little overwhelmed. So tell us a little bit about this book. Like, how did it impact your life?
1: Yeah, so I'll give a short summary. Um, So this is a book about a uh, pastor's family, and the main character is his young daughter. And um, this pastor is in the modern-day South, and he travels around and does tent revivals and faith healings in the American South. Um, While it is a book of fiction, it's it's very well-written, Um, And it feels very um, atmospheric. You can feel and just really experience everything that uh, she writes about and everything that this young girl talks about. Uh, But her family travels around and does tent revivals and her dad does altar calls and faith healings and things that um, at first glance seem to be like, I don't know, maybe ancient isn't the right word, but seem to be like an old thing that we have in our mind that happened decades ago, but um, in the modern American South, this is something that still takes place. And so uh, this young woman is um, writing from her perspective and just talking about what it's like to be um, a pastor's kid, what it looks like to be a part of tent revivals, what it looks like to be home educated, um, and uh, what it's like to experience faith in uh, this context, Um, the reason that it struck a chord with me, first off, it's really well-written, um, and that stuck out to me. Um, while there are larger themes in the book, I don't tend to love fiction that is preachy or overwritten or kind of has a thesis that it wants to get across, and, and it's kind of overdone or overwritten or overwrought. Um, and so first off, it's just it's wonderful, it's wonderfully written. The narrative is wonderful. The characters are rich. The atmosphere you can you can smell and taste and hear just everything that's happening in the book and then the reason that it stuck out to me is because I'm not going to give any spoilers here because I want everyone to read this book. um but this young woman starts to grapple with some very tough issues of faith, and um she begins to sense the Lord doing a work in her life that will put her in direct opposition to her father, her denomination, and her father's theology. And she has to wrestle through a faith that has primarily come to her via her parents and their their ministry role. And it just opens up themes of um, faith of uh, women in ministry of miracles, of following Christ and following your faith while potentially leaving the faith and the culture you have known. Just unbelievable themes, just so many themes that our culture and especially our church culture is wrestling with. A lot of the things that the deconstruction movement um, that a lot of people are going through right now, a lot of the things they're wrestling with, um, it just brought together all these streams of things that not just I, but uh, a lot of us have been thinking about and talking about in the evangelical culture these days.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, you sold me like five minutes ago <laughs> on this book. I can't wait to read it. Um, but, yeah, and you mentioned deconstruction too, um, which, you know, wasn't the word that popped into my mind as you were describing the book, but it does fit. And I was thinking about how so often um, in generation, I guess, like generational relationships of Christians, whether they're biological or not, it often seems like the younger generation is wrestling with maybe some of the application of the theology that they inherited. So thinking about this, reading this book as a pastor, like how does it inform your care for the kind of people who come to visit you on a Sunday evening or who are part of your congregation?
1: I'm going to start kind of zoomed out and then kind of zoom in. Um, I, I think if you zoom out and look at things in kind of a broader context, by and large, I think a lot of people that are leaving, quote unquote, evangelicalism or leaving the faith or deconstructing or however they choose to name it, I think from my experience, most of those individuals I talk to, they're actually leaving a church culture. Very few of them are doubting the existence or the goodness of Jesus. Um, And the majority of them, the majority of the things they're wrestling with or the the things that they're leaving are a, a church culture or a way of doing things that they no longer agree with or don't think are really the way of Jesus. Um, And so I think that that's important for us to keep in mind as we minister to, in particular, the next generation, that sometimes we can hear young people talk about leaving the faith or leaving um, the Christian culture or evangelicalism or their church, and we can think that they don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. But I, I don't necessarily find that to be the case. And so if I zoom in and think about my congregation or the the community here that I'm ministering to, I think it's important to keep that in mind. And I think also that it's important to be aware of what God is doing in individual people. Because I think that the fear I have is that we pray that certain things happen in our congregation, then we preach that certain things will happen in our congregation. But then God does those things and answers those prayers and the spirit moves. And then we see something happening in someone's life or someone comes to us with an idea they have for ministry or, or just conversation about what God's doing in their life. And we're like, no, that's not how it works. That's not what I had in mind. Um, and I think there's a real danger there in putting too much definition around maybe what God and the spirit are trying to do. Um, and so perhaps this is getting too much in the weeds, Heather. And if it is, you can steer me back to what we're we're here to no, talk about. This is
0: good. This is good. Okay. Keep going. Yeah.
1: Um, but I think that a, a concrete application of that is even if you are in a church context that is more complementarian or or believes that you know the office of elder is for men, if you have young women in your church that the spirit lays on their heart, a gift of leadership or a desire to teach, or um, they even have a dream about how God is using them in the local congregation. You have to listen to that and be open to like what the spirit may be doing there. Even if you have certain convictions about offices and, you know, how the church structure looks. Mm. Um, I think we far too often Kind of fence off what the spirit may be doing in someone, especially young people, when they come to us excited about something that we haven't previously thought about.
0: Right. So, wow you you brought up some like some hot topics there. Uh, just <laughs> Sorry. In your example. No, no, it's great. Um, so, would you say that like sometimes the structures are more the culture of the yeah. church? Okay, and so. So you're saying, like, as a leader, you want to be open to the voice of the spirit. Like, here's how this can look differently. Mm-hmm. This might be how the spirit's breathing and blowing. And does that make you unpopular at times with the culture that is already established? Like, I I assume this isn't like a new thought for you, you know, just as of reading this book. But how do you navigate that? How do you navigate you know, wanting to be open to the spirit and what the spirit is doing in individuals, and then being in a particular context that is very scripted. I guess that's the word I'll use.
1: Yeah. It. I don't know. I, I would love for someone to start a podcast on that. Um, it, it's complicated. We, we're drawn to order, you know, we're drawn to systems and order and definition and, Even, you know, more artistic folks, like I've been sure to say you and I are, um, we still crave like definition and, and things being definite and things being orderly. And then we serve a God who can't be tamed and a spirit that is constantly moving and speaking to individuals. And I think when I read the New Testament, I see a church that is alive with the work of the spirit where the Spirit is doing a work in individuals. And it's hard when the Spirit is moving in an individual and it doesn't fit into that preconceived notion or that preconceived definition of the way church works or even the way theology works. Or, yeah, it's really a challenge to know how to do that well. I I mean, even just concretely, um, this morning I was talking with our elders about how we uh, continue to lead our church through prayer being a priority and it's like well do we schedule more prayer times or do we what do we do there there has to be some kind of order and structure and date on the calendar or it doesn't happen but you don't just want it to be a meeting either so I yeah. think there's this this <clears throat> tension here that I, I don't always know how to navigate
0: yeah I mean and that probably was not a fair question because I haven't figured it out either you know like <laughs> yeah. I don't. And, yeah. and, you know, you know, just to even be fair, sometimes I, I feel like weird stuff happens. sometimes I feel like whatever culture I might be deposited into is weird all in itself. And yeah. not just, you know, like it feels different than what feels normal to me. And I have to be kind of open to, okay, like, this is different. This is odd. This is outside of my normal Um, even established, you know, structures in different denominations. And yet I think God is working here, you know? Um, And so I appreciate though what you're saying. It's like we have to sort of have that openness and that mindset all the time, right? All around us. But when we are the ones entrenched in a particular culture, that's, that's where and when we're leading in it that's what makes it more difficult, right? more challenging.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You're you're stating the dilemma very well. Yeah, the, the, this is this is the dilemma. This is difficult and we I mean we all believe that God is bigger than us and our church and our denomination and our theological statement, but the practicalities of it when you're trying to um run a church and serve people well and um, fan that flame that's in them it, it's hard when the rubber meets the road
0: do you think that the diversity of your reading life has given you the ability to see that this is the task before you mm. as a pastor Um, your openness to other voices like do you think that has shaped you to be able to say I want to live in this tension
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think it has in two ways. One is it's just opened me up to a diversity of thought, because I've read a lot of faithful, theologically orthodox folks that disagree with one another. And it's led me to a place where I'm like, maybe they're both right, and maybe they're both wrong, you know. And so that diversity of reading and kind of an eclectic theological education has led me to just understand valid arguments on both sides of most issues. Um, And instead of building straw men and burning them down, um, really understanding um, people on opposite ends of things has helped me see like, oh, you can be faithful to scripture and run your church differently. And that's okay. So I think that's one way it's helped me. The other way that reading broadly has helped me too is it has led me to a place theologically where I'm really sure about two things and then the rest I'm really unsure on. Um, And those two things are like Jesus and our need for him to be Mm -hmm. forgiven of our sins. And the second one is scripture is true and good and helpful Mm -hmm. for all of life. Mm -hmm. Everything else, it's kind of fluid in my mind and everything else is just kind of an opinion Um, and so I think that broad reading has led me to actually narrow down what I feel incredibly strongly about.
0: You are making some people very nervous right now, Jason. I know.
1: (laughs) I'm sure I am. But
0: I, but I, I appreciate what you're saying. And I also think that pastoring in Iowa city, like has to keep us honest in that way, because Mm. we have to, this is not, uh, for those listening, this is not like a conservative like traditionally christian type of city like it's a city filled with second generation atheists you know yes. and so in order to like really minister to people who come from outside of whatever tradition we're in like we really have to understand them we really have to open up ourselves to think the way that they're thinking and not that we'll always agree but to to really get inside the headspace Of someone else who's who's coming at faith from a different direction
1: yes that is true of those in the church and outside the church because those in the church have more access to theological resources and education than any generation previously Mm -hmm. so my congregation is more well read than any Mm -hmm. kind of generation Mm -hmm. that's come before them so inevitably they've read opposing views on things too. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but they're used to that critical thinking if they're involved in the university at all, as it's a pretty educated um, community that we're in here. And so yeah, you've got to be on your game to understand um, where those in the community are coming from. And then also even your own congregation to understand the diverse things that they're reading. I I had four pretty controversial sermons in a row because we were in first Peter and we just hit on some big things um, like government and marriage and weird passages in scripture. And I had people in the congregation coming to me saying, what are we going to talk about here? And are you going to talk about this? And it, it was not in like a accusatory way or even like a way that was nervous. They just have, have read up on these things. Um and so yeah, I think in the community we find ourselves in it's it's very important to have a broad understanding of where people are coming from.
0: Yeah, that's really good. And actually you're reminding me of another one of the the guests for the show that I'm interviewing uh in the future but you know, on his, he's an Iowa City pastor and on his website he's got a little video and he talks about the values of the church and one of them is humility. Mm-hmm. And he says and it's it's because in the end, we could be wrong about some things, you know, and so I, I don't think he's saying he doesn't feel sure about Jesus as a Lord. I don't think he's saying he he doesn't feel sure about that scripture is, you know, good and helpful for all of life. Um, but I think he's getting at that, that thing you're talking about, too, is like, there are some things that are helpful to hold loosely and others that aren't but some things that are right to allow you to dialogue with others and minister to others
1: yeah absolutely
0: so Jason uh any final thoughts like any reason why you would want to encourage others to read this book who should read this book what do you think
1: well it's so well written that everyone should read this book for sure um I think there are just a lot of amazing things to wrestle through and consider, especially for uh, those in the church or those that have left the church, those that have wrestled with faith. Um, Again, there's so many themes in it that are um, just relevant and pertinent that I think it's uh, a book that would be beneficial, if not just enjoyable for anyone uh, to read um i think that more fiction about uh things that are spiritual with themes of spirituality is always a good thing um and i don't know monica west's like faith background or faith journey but it is so lived in what she has written that um there's got to be some kind of first second third hand knowledge of this this culture and um, it it's just really well done and there's so many themes in it that are important that I think it's really worth enjoying the ride but then also wrestling through and talking through there's so many things uh, to talk through you're the third person now that I've talked to this book about as I keep wow. recommending it Giving it to people, they blow through it, and then they want to get together with me to to talk about. So I would love to uh, have more folks read the book, so I have more people to talk to.
0: Nice. Well, and you know what? You answered what was going to be my last question. I wondered about Monica West, like if you knew anything about her background, but I can tell you, I'm going to get off this call and go Google her and (laughs) see see if you know she interviews anywhere and talks about how her background informed the writing of the book, but. That's awesome. I so appreciate you being here with us today. And uh, God bless you in your ministry in Iowa City and just walking through tensions for the sake of God and others.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me on the podcast, Heather. I am excited to listen to all the episodes of this podcast. And it's been great to talk to you today.
0: Thanks for joining my conversation with Pastor Jason Blackley and this episode of Your Pastor Reads Books. Check out our show notes for this episode's book recommendations. And if you want to support the podcast, you can subscribe to my newsletter at heatherweber.substack.com. That's Weber with one B. Or for more information about me and other projects I'm working on, click around on my personal website at heatherweber.org. Thanks so much and enjoy your day.